All right. We'll get started. Most gracious and loving Father in heaven, we're thankful for all the rich blessings that you continually bestow upon us. And we're thankful now for the, this opportunity to be together again uh, as we uh, seek to come together and to be with our brothers and sisters, with our family uh, at every opportunity. Thank you, Father, for your word and for uh, the ability for us to look into it and to search out and learn your ways, and to learn your will, Father, and strengthen in us through that spirit that binds us, strengthen in us the desire and the ability to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks concerning the hope that is in us and to do that with fear and mercy. And Father, bless us uh, with, uh, with a good study tonight. And we pray your blessing upon our teachers and students uh, down the hallway uh, in the classes where our young folks are being taught. We're so thankful for our teachers uh, in this congregation, the time they're willing to dedicate to, uh, to ensuring that uh, your will is made known to our young folks, uh, that we might bring them up in the way they should go and having faith, Father, that when they're old, they won't depart from it. Thank you for all of your continual blessings and most of all for your son Jesus and the examples of his life that we find in your word and his influence on our lives daily as we put your word into our hearts father and and Christ is seen in us to the world father in our attitudes and our behavior and our interests and our involvements and our interactions with everyone we come into contact with, Father, that Christ is seen in, in us. And we're so thankful for his sacrifice, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> All right. So thank you, James, uh, for reminding me that last week I did close by saying we would finish off the last couple of questions from the self-control lesson that we, we had last week. So this is a reminder uh, and I'll repeat this at the beginning of each class. This is the uh, kind of a book that we're doing a study off of, and it was designed for that, uh, written by the brother Mike Mazzalongo from the Oklahoma City Church of Christ. And uh, he says on here, Ten Steps to the New Spiritual You is the title of the book. And right under that in a little box it says, A Small Group Study, which is what we have here on Wednesday night in the auditorium, a small group, for mature Christians. Uh, so... Uh, as we go through this and we conclude at the end of the lesson, if you if you kind of feel like we skipped a whole lot of, of the basic foundational stuff, uh, it's this is being taught with the understanding that you already have that knowledge and we're building upon that. So small group study for mature Christians, kind of building levels upon the knowledge level up into comprehension and, and then ultimately application. So uh, back to the questions from last week. Nope. Okay, look, I'm just going to read them to you because uh, 
I got the slides uh, turned around a little bit. You should have expected that. All right. So let me find these questions. And those will be the slides for the next lesson we're going to get into on self-control. Um, let me see here. Back to... <clears throat> All right. So backing up to our, our uh, lesson uh, last week on humility, and uh, we'd already... Uh, uh, gone over the first couple of questions, and so here's another one, right? Uh, uh, describe a time or situation when you were able to truly exhibit a humble attitude. And and let me let me uh, throw out this, uh, what's it like, a disclaimer or something? I don't know if I'm using that word right. But, uh, like, we it's understood that in here you're not bragging, you know, unless you get carried away. Okay? Okay. Uh, so, you know, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, be imitators of me as I am also of Christ, right? And then in uh, 1 Corinthians 12 or 13, somewhere there in one of those verses, it says, uh, mark them who walk even as you have us for an example. So taken out of context, both of those statements could be seen as arrogant and prideful. That's not the situation. So I'm going to go back to the question now, and uh, you may answer, and we're not going to judge you as bragging, Unless you get carried away, and then we'll probably poke fun at you. So, describe a time or a situation when you were able to truly exhibit a humble attitude. And we'll, we'll grow from your answer. I'm sure there's an on switch somewhere. Oh, I thought I thought Nathan was going to answer the question. Okay. <clears throat> Actually, I was hoping he would. We can't leave a question unanswered. Thank you, because it was going to force me to answer. Yeah, Tracy, right down here. And she's going to tell us a time or a situation when she was able to truly exhibit a humble attitude. Text stuff, I know. Go ahead. I remember um, it was when I became an adult and I had just crucified my father for years over a mistake he made in our family that tore it apart. And for years, I wouldn't let it go until I made a very similar mistake. And I went to him and I told him, and I, and I was in- incredibly humbled. <laughs> And um, that was probably, yeah, that's a, that was a big humi- um, humbling experience for me. Mm. But I grew from it even when I was, I wasn't even a Christian then, but I grew from that. All right. The, you know, thanks to God, of course. Thank you. Excuse me. Okay. I didn't see a lot of interest in answering that one. Um, but uh, thank you for giving uh, there, I didn't see any other hands uh, to answer that question. No, no, no. We're all very interested in... Thank you for sharing that. Uh, who is your 
hero of humility aside from Jesus and why? Do any of us recall someone that they might consider a hero of humility? Yes, ma'am. Tony Cloud. All right. I I mean, since the day that I showed up here and knew him just briefly some years ago, 20 years ago, but it's just so consistent and it's always the same and... Um, I just appreciate it, and it's one of the things I really love about this church is that he is just a humble person, um, and um, I'm grateful for that. So he's my hero of humility. All right. See, turn red over there a little bit. Sorry. Okay. Um, yes, sir. Stephen. <clears throat> Ditto. Ibid. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thank you, brother. All right. And uh, looking around. Yes, Court. I can think of a couple people uh, in our lives that have really been real strong examples of humility and. Uh, we had a little gathering last night with some pe- people from church and stuff, and I was telling them about an experience that we had when we left Anchorage and moved to Milwaukee, a place we'd never been before, had to f- find the church, and met uh, one of the young preachers there when I was driving around the parking lot before he even had gone to a service, mm-hmm. and his life was an example of humility. He was generous to a fault and I mean he lived on a shoestring budget married had five kids all the kids had hand-me-down clothing and everything and so we kind of took it upon ourselves to do things for them without making them feel uncomfortable and uh, but he was just a true uh, truly a humble person the way he dealt with people and he did counseling and did all these things but uh, a remarkable man, and uh, I can think of one more from here was uh, Marcus Allen, was a, a good brother and really showed a lot of humility and and caring for people. That's going back about thirty years, right? Yeah. All right, and uh, you know, for me, for me, the key is getting to know because how many Christians do you worship with here that that uh, that you've known for? 20, 25 years, but you haven't really gotten to know them. You know, that kind of requires getting together in more social situations. Uh, Not just a potluck, but like in your homes or at a lot of these things that are going on like these camping trips and the the picnics and the different stuff, you know, where people get together and you you really get to know each other. Um, I was blessed with the opportunity to get to know Tally Moon uh, a lot better uh, during the last couple years of his life. And uh, got to spend a lot of time with Tally and Carol. Um, and uh, um, and and I remember sitting there listening to him. We spent a lot of time together just talking. And I remember thinking, does this guy know how, I mean, the depth of his wisdom, you know. And, uh, uh, uh his ability to forgive, you know, and forget. 
and uh, his attitude toward his Christian family. It was just spectacular. It was amazing. I'm like, does this guy? And, you know, uh, and, and I reminded of a quote that's, that's not, you know, really very relevant to Tally, but uh, you've heard that uh, the most endearing quality of a beautiful woman is that she does not know herself to be so, right? You've heard that? And so it was kind of like that with Tally. He didn't, he didn't know how, you know, uh, uh, what a, he, he had no idea, I think, what a, what a really incredibly good man. It was just kind of effortless with him, you know. Um, so that influence uh, made me want to be like him. That's how that works, you know. Be imitators of me as I am also of Christ. And he was definitely imitating Christ. So which of the tips, which one you find here? Uh, I'm going to skip this last question. We'll go ahead and move into uh, the next one, or I'll, I'll end up needing an extra week at the end of it. All right? Okay, so now we're going to talk about self-control. Uh, and uh, I'm reminded, uh, and I, I threw this in. It's not out of the book, but uh, 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 Walt Smith uh, uh, was the one that uh, uh, Gail's cousin or brother-in-law, Art yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, Art Smith. I knew that. Uh, <clears throat> this is from one of Art's lessons that I heard about 11 or 12 years ago. He said, uh, in this particular lesson, he talked about two things necessary for sin to occur. Two things that must be present in the situation are weakness and opportunity. Right. And so when you think about it, opportunity is always there. Right. You can you can sit alone in a dark room with your eyes shut in a total vacuum of silence and sin, right? You can, you can sin with your mind. Uh, you don't even need to interact with anybody. But, so, um, but weakness is one that we have more control over. Of course, it's situational. Sometimes things happen to you that you didn't expect, and for a moment you're, you're weakened by that, caught off guard, affected in a certain way. Maybe you hit your thumb with a hammer or somebody does something to you, you know. Um, but uh, we, we stay strong. We're talking about spiritually strong. And I tell my kids all the time, like at the end of our emails, uh, on Saturday mornings I like to get up and drink coffee and pet my dog and read and meditate and study, and then I'll, I'll type a long email to my kids, send it to all, all of them. Um, and I like to close with things like, be strong, the exclamation mark, and they know what that means. I'm not talking about lifting weights, you know. I'm talking about stay in the Word. Like Bob was talking about on Sunday, abide. Abide in the Lord. Live there, right? That's, that's where you live in the Lord, in His Word. That's, that's where your existence lies, right? So stay strong. Um, and the men know that. Uh, ladies, I'm not, not uh, negating you at all, uh, but, but the men know that as the head of their households, your primary function in life as a Christian is to stay strong, right? Be strong, okay? And we know that. So weakness and opportunity, the weakness is the one you're going to have more control over, not the opportunities. Opportunity is always there. So make sure you're strong when the opportunity does arise. A contextual warning, because we're about to get into Romans 7 here. Um, Don't ever... Read Romans chapter 7 without continuing on and reading Romans chapter 8. Because you'll get all kinds of confused. And we've heard it come from devotionals and 
classes and lessons and it's in books and everywhere, right? So read those two together and then, as a matter of fact, read the whole book of Romans. Make sure you got the right context there, but especially Romans 7 and 8. And there are a lot of passages like that in Scripture. Um, <clears throat> Becoming godly is each Christian's true calling in response to the question, what shall I do with my life and why am I here? We are, therefore, studying ten spiritual disciplines that are going to help us move forward in the process. Um, we'll review uh, all of these at the end, uh, but now we're going to talk about self-control. So the problem we find in uh, Romans chapter 7, and I, I like the fact that Brother Mazzalongo here has a passage from Romans chapter 7, and then you turn the page, and then you're in Romans chapter 8. So he, he got it. He gets it, right? Um, so... Yeah, so we already talked about that. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 is going to be pivotal to understanding uh, the 7th chapter of Romans. So you've got to make sure you read those together. So I'm in Romans chapter 7. I'll begin with verse 14. And this isn't going to be on the slide. I'm just going to read it from you so you can open up to Romans 7 and follow along in your Bible. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin, which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh, for the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law, which is sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. So in this passage, Paul is describing the battle taking place within every believer, the struggle between the flesh and the spirit. Does every Christian have this problem? Yes. Even the great, the great Apostle Paul, and remember from James chapter 1, that God doesn't tempt anyone, right? That's not how sin is conceived. It, it explains that in James chapter 1 also. What exactly is the danger here? The threat Paul describes is a situation where the flesh will overpower and dominate us. What is the Christian's objective in this situation? The believer wants the spirit to dominate the flesh. Sin and the desire of the flesh is still present, still felt, but it is the spirit that dominates, not 
the flesh. How do you get to this point? Exercise self-control. And you know, this is out of Romans chapter 7. And what precedes Romans chapter 7? Romans chapter 6, right? Uh, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? No. And I hope you were here on Sunday to hear the lessons on 1 John about sin and continuing in sin and making excuses for it, right? Um, So that's not what we're to extract from Romans chapter 7. You cannot become a godly person unless the Spirit dominates, and the Spirit cannot dominate unless we practice self-control. Practice self-control, right? It's like the piano. Um, When you start off learning to play the piano, it doesn't sound too good, or any musical instrument, using that as an example. But, you know, if, if you're paying for your kid to take some piano lessons, you better let them go in there and bang on that thing, or it's never going to sound good, right? You might have to put up with that for a long time. But, man, if you can persevere, such beautiful things come, can come out of that piano right through your kid's fingers. Gail knows what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> uh, Christianity is the same way. You know, uh, when you're a, a babe in Christ, when you first become a Christian, might not be pretty. That's why it's important to be here with these people uh, to get to get that that help along. You know, uh, but it's just like the piano or anything else. The more you practice and exercise those muscles, you know, like in in our case, it's uh, uh, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Those are the muscles that we exercise in our Christianity. Which heart, soul, mind, and strength just means every fiber of your being—physical, spiritual, mental, emotional, and so forth. Um, so we practice. Oh yeah, review First John. So we got this stuff on the archive, right? If you missed that on Sunday, um, go to the archive, hit uh, the archive button under, uh, you'll find it, and then find Sunday's lessons, and then uh, listen to that. Some very important things were said there. So, um, so the problem we just read about. <clears throat> okay, so know your enemy. Many people fail to cultivate self-control in their lives because they do not really know their enemy very well. Our enemy, when it comes to self-control, is ourselves. And you read in James chapter 1 how how sin is conceived. Uh, You understand that better. In Galatians 5 and 17, it says, For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. Paul says that the battle raging within us leaves us not able to do what we want, good or bad. My faith spoils the pleasures of evil. The flesh interrupts my communion with God. When you become a Christian, you receive the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, and your life is redirected. However, your old habits... And sinful desires remain and continually draw you back. The spirit and flesh battle for domination. And you can usually tell who is winning the nature of the fruit 
uh, or actions your life is producing. And then in Galatians 5, over here. <clears throat> uh, okay, I didn't put that up there. Maybe I did. Let's try. Yeah. Galatians 5 and verse 18 through 24, where it says, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and then the next few words are very important, and things like these. So we can't think, well, the thing that I did wasn't on the list. It says things like these, right? So we know the difference between good and bad. Of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Um, and so I like how uh, Paul was, was uh, uh, you know, guided by the influence of the Holy Spirit here to write the list of the bad things, the deeds of the flesh, immorality, impurity, sensuality, and so on, and immediately follows it up with the fruit of the Spirit, the good things that replace the bad things. When you're baptized into Christ, you rise to walk in the newness of life, dying to the old self, and you identify those bad things, and then you lay aside. And remember, the Greek for this laying aside is a definite act, a deliberate act with permanent results. That's going back to Tony's lesson on First John, right? And you replace those bad things that you've identified with the good things. That's why I enjoy so much reading the book of Ephesians. When you go to Ephesians, uh, all throughout it says, No longer do this. Don't do this. Stop doing this. But instead, do this. And every time he says, Don't do this bad thing, he follows it up with, But instead, do this good thing. Right? And read Ephesians and identify that. Use a, use a different highlighter Use a red or a pink highlighter for don't do this. And then right after that, take your yellow highlighter. and But instead, do this and see how. Uh, because God wouldn't have us be converted and then uh, learn to do his will and then just stop doing all the bad things and not replace it with anything, right? Repentance requires that additional step of replacing the thing you've repented from with something pleasing to God, right? Giving in to our temptations, weaknesses, evil desires, and worldly influences empowers the flesh to dominate and eventually destroy us. However, exercising self-control enables the spirit to dominate and strengthen 
and ultimately deliver us from the hold of the flesh and its natural result, which is both physical and spiritual death. If humility's reward in this life is peace, then self-control's prize is the ability to experience joy as faithful disciples of Jesus. And at the end with our questions, uh, hopefully we'll get to them tonight, we'll talk about, like, go ahead and experience that joy, you know? When, when you defeat Satan on a personal level, when you, when you resist the temptation, when you, when you say no to an opportunity to sin, right? When you exhibit that strength that you're, you're working on building all the time, right? Celebrate that. I mean, be excited about that, you know? So, uh, let's talk about... Okay. It is not enough just to know the enemy and how it operates. We have to have our own strategy for victory. Here are some strategies on how to cultivate self-control so that the Spirit can dominate and bless your lives. Um, So first of all, keep your eyes on the prize. Uh, In the beginning, like uh, lesson one, we talked about uh, Olympic athletes, how they motivate themselves by imagining the moment they win the gold and what that would mean. They get their names in the history books, prestige, fame, wealth. And they get to be called the greatest in the world, like uh, this Usain Bolt, right? Um, and then in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and 24 through 27, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. But I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. It's like in Galatians uh, 6 where it says, uh, uh, You who are spiritual, gently restore such a one who's, who's in sin. Gently restore such a one. And then it goes on to say, Be careful so that you don't get caught up in sin yourself. Paul uses this same sport analogy to emphasize the idea that self-control is the basis for success, both in competitive sport as well as the competition between the spirit and the flesh for the dominance over our bodies. Initially, our prize is the joy we experience as we see the spirit dominating our lives with the spiritual fruit being produced as the proof. And then... Um, and I threw this in there, Philippians three thirteen and 14. Um, because it's so encouraging. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 
All right. Ultimately, our crown or wreath is eternal life and the call of the Lord to be with him in heaven as good and faithful servants. The answer to give to temptation in all of its forms is you are not worth it. And then you want to show your body who's the boss. All right, let's see. Got away from me for a second there. The adage, no pain, no gain, is just as true in the spiritual battle we fight as, in, as it, it is in motivating athletes to train hard. Self-control is painful because of the body. The belly, the eyes, and the heart all want something, and if you don't give in, your flesh will extract a price of suffering for having denied it. You have to run, as Paul says, in such a way as to win, not to lose. Doing right, avoiding wrong, and resisting the pull to give in are not easy or painless. But with time and practice, each of these becomes easier and less painful. The key is to remember that it is always worth the effort. Always. And then self-control is a personal matter. Your spouse, friend, parent, or preacher cannot instill self-control in you. Sorry, Tony. I really wish you could. It is all you with help from God. If you choose the flesh, the flesh will dominate you. If you appeal to the Spirit, the Spirit will empower you and dominate your life, and it will show. So in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 12 uh, through verse 15, So then, brethren... We are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Remember this important rule of thumb. You usually have only three seconds to decide who wins the battle of giving in to the flesh or following the Spirit's lead. And if, if in those three seconds you use your self-control to call on the Spirit, He will empower you to do right and move closer to the godliness you are pursuing. You grow three seconds at a time. All right, and so now we have we actually have some time for our questions. <clears throat> All right, um, which are you more vulnerable to temptations of the body, uh, like consumption, illicit pleasure, violence, etc., or temptations of the heart, like pride, honesty, jealousy, self pity, etc.? Oliver.
Katie? You got the mic for you there? For me, I'm most tempted by anger. That's, I don't even get three seconds. I, somebody does something that I don't think they ought to have done, especially if to, it's to me, mm-hmm. I get angry, and I want revenge. I try not to go that far, but sometimes I fail. Thank you. I'll hit you with a little self-disclosure here. I hope I don't regret it. You, know, you remind me six months later I said this. Um, so I've gotten I've gotten a lot better, uh, but not without effort. Of when I when when I used to get mad at somebody, and you know we're talking about anger, right? Um, like I would find myself after the after the the angrifying situation had ended so i'm away from them uh and then for for some length of time i would find myself going over these scenarios in my head where we're getting into it again but of course in my new scenarios in my head i'm winning every time i'm like yeah he came up if he came up to me and said this i'd punch him right in his you know and and if 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 they if they do this if they try that again this is what I'm going to do and so I would I would find myself sitting around wasting time thinking about what I would do if they tried that again or if that person made me mad or if they you know and so I'm coming up with these these wild scenarios in my head you know uh, and then with the maturity that we experience as Christians uh, I came to realize man take every thought captive for Christ right and so let's start taking those captive immediately so when you find yourself thinking that way you you go straight into prayer right and while you're doing that you pray for that person that you got the the beef with you know you pray for them earnestly sincerely passionately you pray for them um, and and trust me you 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 won't be able to keep staying mad at them even if they keep doing things that try to make you mad, you know? Uh, that stuff really works. It's amazing. You ask for that help and it comes, right? Why do you think this is so? Oh, which part? Oh, uh, which are you more vulnerable to? Why would somebody be more vulnerable to either temptations of the body or temptations of the heart? Yes, ma'am. I think every one of us, I don't think anybody can I don't I don't know that anybody can say they don't struggle with some kind of temptation of the heart, whether mm-hmm. it's whatever it is I, I, I mean that's just part of being a human as far as the physical stuff I think people who make good decisions and don't start doing any of those things mm-hmm. are going to have less trouble and there's also personalities that are more addictive than others mm-hmm. 
so I, I, I struggle with the, the things that my stimulants that my body likes. I do to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also struggle with temptations of the heart. And I think, and why, why is because I'm alive mm-hmm. and because I'm a human being and I live in a fallen world. The point is now as a Christian, it's different. And, and I try harder. <clears throat> yeah. You think about Job, uh, old Satan prowling around like a roaring lion. Uh, he tried to tried to take his body, and then through his friends, for example, he tried to take his heart. You know, so he's gonna he's gonna get you whatever way he can. I I feel like the more we mature in Christ, uh, the more our heart comes under attack uh, by what mostly by what we expose ourselves to, and then opportunities like this that we don't expose ourselves to. These are decisions we make, right? So why do you suppose that some folks believe that God will not forgive their sins, or one sin in particular? I studied with an airman named Tony uh, 30 years ago on the night shift down at Dias. And uh, we studied, we had a lengthy study. And I'm like, this guy knows everything that he needs to know. He, it's, you know, he needs to make a decision and we started talking about that um and he he told me that he's a young fella he told me he said sarge i'm not ready he said i've got some wild living to do still and uh, and i understand everything you told me and uh but when when i get baptized i need to be ready to change and i'm not you know so i studied with him a little bit more and then left it in his heart you know left it planted there uh and and I, I lost contact with the guy eventually, but I still wonder what what became of him because those things are in there, and I think they were in there good. But that blew my mind. I was like, "What?" And he hit me with that right at the very end. I, all all the way up to that point, I thought, "Yeah, he's oh yeah, yeah, yeah." So still don't understand that. Um, all right, so. I think that it's ignorance. I think it's ignorance uh, that some folks believe that God will not forgive their sins or one sin in particular. They just haven't learned or studied enough or been in the right environment enough uh, to mature to the point that they that they get that. That they. Uh... Yes, ma'am. Um, hi. Um, I think it's because we lack, like, the understanding of, like, instant gratification. Like, we want the instant, okay, I forgive you, rather than just waiting and seeing how things play out. Mm -hmm. So I think that's why sometimes we're like, oh, he won't forgive me. Because you're going to have to keep waiting and waiting and waiting until you pass. And then that time comes when you're there and hit his face and it's like, what is your answer for me? So mm-hmm. I think it's, we just don't get the instant, okay, we have to live with that decision and that replay, like the scenarios kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. You know, and, yeah, Pat? Uh, this is oh. a generic read, but I think a lot of times we develop this idea uh-huh. that God doesn't forgive us of sin because deep down, I don't know. Maybe later, I'll feel different. 
feel like, I feel like why bother? Glenn, go ahead. I concur with with both comments that were just made, but and as what you said, ignorance. If they're not attuned to what the scriptures are about in terms of God forgiving then they still scratch their heads. People that are incarcerated say, God, please forgive me. And they expect their sentence to be shorter? Mm. I don't think so, Scooter. But nonetheless, they lose that grip on, on the scriptures themselves. Yeah. So we have to wrap it up, uh, but we'll pick up here next week. So make sure you remind me of that. Uh, and uh, I'll leave you with this thought. If, if I don't believe in God's forgiveness for me, I mean, really, then I'm probably not going to forgive you. All right? So uh, we'll open the doors there and let the kids in. Thank you for your attention.